Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, blame tight inventory, higher prices, and higher interest rates. The average age of cars on the road today now at 12 and a half years. That's a new record. Kelly Blue Book is out with their list of the best family vehicles of 2023 in case it's getting time to replace yours. Also this morning, another resource to help young people discover and explore career opportunities in manufacturing in Ohio. Senator Sherrod Brown this week kicked off his annual summer manufacturing camp program. We'll get details. And we're having breakfast with another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, May 19th, 2023. So this is the story. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, uh, you know, more and more states are legalizing marijuana, right? So it probably will come as no surprise that more American workers are testing positive for cannabis use. Uh, the latest analysis by Quest, Diagnostic, uh, Quest Diagnostics Diagnostics. <laughs> uh, it's very early in the morning. Uh, an analysis by Quest Diagnostics. That's the big lab company that does much of the drug testing for employers in this country. Quest Diagnostics data indicates that more than one in 25 workers tested positive for cannabis in routine drug tests, employment drug tests. Um, that's the numbers are it says of the more than 6 million routine employment tests done in 2022 4.3% came back positive 4.3% doesn't seem like a high number no pun intended but it is the highest <laughs> that we have been quite literally in 25 years so i think 1997 uh, was the last time the rate was up even close to 4%, and we're at 4.3%. Again, no surprise, as more states legalize marijuana. Uh, it was found most commonly. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that the workers are stoned while they're on the job, only that they have smoked recently enough for cannabis to show up in the test. Um Positive tests were found most commonly in workers in food services, the hotel business, and the retail sector. Those were the, the top three industries for employees uh, that use. Now, the big question then becomes, because it is becoming more and more common and because it is being legalized, um, how many companies still are banning marijuana use among their employees and really it they say it depends on the type of work if it involves safety uh if it involves like for example uh pharmaceutical workers you don't want them to have drugs in their system of any kind and so uh, marijuana still if if the people are normally driving you don't want to risk people driving while they're high, so they have a lot less tolerance for that. But other uh, businesses, like the hotel business, retail sector, and so on, are uh, increasingly removing their restrictions on marijuana use among their employees because they're using it anyway, apparently. 
was kind of interesting. Uh, some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. You know, we're coming up on graduation season. A and kids, high school kids be heading off to college in the fall. Are they a little nervous about that? A new study from the Ohio State University finds that students who enrolled in college in the fall of 2020 had more trouble making decisions compared to students who enrolled in years prior. And yes, again, you hit the highlights of that. Those are the students that have enrolled in college since fall of 2020. What would those students have encountered? The pandemic. Lingering effects of the COVID pandemic. The research team gave more than 160 students hypothetical situations and compared their answers to those of pre-pandemic students. And they found that uh, those who enrolled have enrolled since the pandemic have more trouble making decisions. Our theory, according to psychology professor Melissa Bulow, our theory is that feeling stressed by everything going on was limiting students' resources to really evaluate the information that was presented to them. The impact was uh, seen not only in students that enrolled in fall of 2020, but even students during the spring semester in 2022 so this has been an ongoing thing uh since the pandemic kind of interesting another one of those uh lingering effects of the uh, pandemic among students enrolling in college some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your friday morning started now this is research i can't believe that We have never done this research before, but apparently we finally have an answer to the question, when was the first kiss, the first human kiss? Researchers in Denmark say the earliest documented smooch between human beings took place 4,500 years ago in Mesopotamia. They... I guess, made this determination because clay tablets with script providing evidence of lip-locking was recently uncovered. Many thousands of these clay tablets have been preserved, clearly demonstrating that kissing was perceived as part of romantic intimacy even in ancient times. So they have finally gone back through all of these clay tablets, all of this research, and they have found that the first, the earliest documented kiss between human beings 4,500 years ago. Um, Now, of course, uh, kissing has also led to the spread of disease uh, over the the years. So the professor... uh, and this the the researcher in Denmark who came up with this uh, had to make sure that they pointed out that it's not all been kissy kissy smoochy smoochy all romantic stuff but 4500 years ago, i can't believe that we didn't know that until now how did we not know until now that the first kiss was 4500 years ago and uh, also to let you know this is big news a uh, couple of fast food stories. 
Um, you remember the story, oh, a couple of weeks ago about Wendy's testing uh, AI at the drive-thru window? Uh, AI robots taking customers' orders at the drive-thru? Well, they're at it again, leveraging amazing new technology at Wendy's, testing an underground robot system to deliver orders to customers. It says here, the fast food company is partnering with Pipe Dream, a hyper-logistics company, um, for a what they are calling an instant pickup portal. Uh, These will be located next to parking spots and robots will transport the meals through these underground portals to the consumer's cars. Uh, The company, it says here announced earlier this month, it's teaming up with Google to add AI to the menu to answer customer questions and take their orders. So maybe in the future at Wendy's, you will pull into the drive-thru, give the robot, give the computer your order, pull into a parking space, and the robot will actually deliver your order to you. Kind of like a bank drive-thru. Uh, but the but the the pipes, the thing will be will run underground and just pop up in this portal, kind of like the uh, bank drive-thru does. That's crazy. So that is pretty cool. We'll see if that catches on. And... This may be even bigger news, not that they are necessarily coming to Ohio anytime soon, but they're getting closer. In-N-Out Burger is expanding their eastward expansion. Of course, if you are if you are a frequent traveler, if you traveler if you traveler, if you travel to the western part of the US, if you've ever been to Vegas or Southern California, and, and so on. You've probably seen In-N-Out Burger. It's sort of like a uh, it's a regional obsession for people in that part of the country, and people from that part of the country that have relocated elsewhere speak very fondly about In-N-Out Burger. It is the thing. But while it once was strictly a Southern California staple, the fast food chain has been gradually opening restaurants in... They've been gradually moving eastward into places like Vegas and expanding into the Pacific Northwest and so on. Now, the fast food chain is opening restaurants and a corporate office in Tennessee. They say it will be open by 2026. Uh, That will... It says that will be the eighth state to host in and out and its stripped-down burger, fries, and milkshake menu, the company's owner also hinted at expansion into the southeast. So we're talking Florida, Georgia, you know, that kind of part. Well, they're going to be in Tennessee. Now, again, that doesn't mean they're coming nationwide, but they're getting closer. So if you are an in-and-out aficionado, that is certainly good news. So big stuff this morning. There you go. The most... Interesting, the most buzzworthy, the most important news (laughs) to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. It'll be partly sunny today with a high in the upper 70s. Showers are possible tonight, a low around 50. 
One of the biggest military shows in the country is happening in Findlay. The Findlay Show, 36th Annual Armed Forces Day celebration, runs through Sunday morning at the Hancock County Fairgrounds. Our tribute to the brave men and women of the Armed Forces celebrating Armed Forces Day, which is Saturday, the third Saturday of every May. That's John Cheney, the commander of the Finley Military Association. The event will include food vendors, reenactors, helicopter rides, a military vehicle swap meet, and much more. Get more on the website. Chamberlain Hill Elementary in Finley held a rededication ceremony for its new and improved Land Lab outdoor learning space. We've added um, three additional learning labs for the students. We also have three habitats going in, so we will have a wetlands, a woodlands, and a prairie. And then we've also added outdoor chess checkers. There's even a tic-tac-toe board over there. We've got gardens over here that the community can come um, and just kind of observe. We spoke with teacher Tanya Turbin and one of her students, Wesley. What's your favorite part? Uh... Probably the big chess and checkers. Yeah? I love playing chess and checkers. See video of the Land Lab dedication with this story on our website. The Board of Trustees at The Ohio State University is making a rare statement on statehouse politics. The board is opposing Senate Bill 83, also known as the Ohio Higher Education Enhancement Act. Some of the changes include ending mandated diversity training, bans on partnerships with Chinese institutions, and blocking faculty unions from striking during contract negotiations. I'm Tracy Townsend. Blanchard Valley Health System is offering several upcoming first aid and CPR classes to the community, including a new pediatric class designed for babysitters. The Heart Saver Pediatric Course for Babysitters includes education on infant CPR, child CPR, automated external defibrillators, and choking in children, infants, and adults. The new course is particularly geared toward high school students and others who will be babysitting over the summer months. Get more details on the website. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you might have heard the report we were talking about a few days ago. The average age of a family car on the road today is 12 and a half years, according to the latest data over the past couple three years constrained inventory pricing and higher interest rates have all contributed to that but there is no escaping the fact that eventually many of those vehicles will have to be replaced and if you are in that situation we are joined by kelly blue book executive editor brian moody with their list of best family cars of 2023 brian important to point out first of all that the list of best family cars includes more than just cars what are some of the more uh, the most important factors that you consider when choosing which cars make the list for best of the best? Well, size is a big consideration. Um, You want to consider how much cargo space you need, how much people hauling space you need. Um, We actually broke our list down into two categories this year, vehicles with two rows of seating and vehicles with three rows of seating. Not everybody who has a family needs three rows of seating. And because we know people are, you know, sort of price constrained and the prices have been, Prices have been coming down in recent months, but they're still coming down from, you know, sort of all-time record highs. Right. Keep in mind that a smaller car, a smaller, even a smaller SUV, is typically going to be less expensive to buy and is going to be less expensive to fuel. So those are some things to consider, but also you should figure out how you're going to be using it. Um, do you need to tow something? Um, do you go off-road? Does it snow? All, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's always a balancing act between uh, 
between price point and cost of ownership versus size and and what your needs actually are because if those are mismatched obviously it's not going to be a good uh, end result one of the other things that is new right. uh, one of the other things that is new this year I know is that uh, you have an electric uh, vehicle on the uh, on the list for the first time how have uh, those alternative fuel vehicles we're talking electrics and hybrids um, improved uh, in the course of the past year or two and when are those a good choice for families well it, they can be good choices you have to just assess how you use it so if you do a lot of road trips you want to do research and figure out are there a lot of charging stations on the route that i'm going to be taking on my road trip right um if not then maybe a hybrid is better for you but both hybrids and electric cars have improve dramatically in terms of their drivability. Um, they're, they're quiet, they're convenient, they have lots of comfort features, and the range has improved for both. So those are, those are, would be some considerations depending on how you use your car. So what are some of the vehicles that made this year's Best Family Cars list? One of our favorites is the new Honda CRV that's been redesigned recently, and it has a fresh new look, and that's both inside and outside. That's just you know, like a longtime favorite, the Honda CRV is a great is a great car. We also like the Hyundai Santa Fe, and we also like the Toyota Rav4. The Toyota Rav4 is also a small SUV, but you can get it as a gas powered car, as a hybrid, or as a plug in hybrid. And then when it comes to big three row SUVs, we like the Kia Telluride. That's an excellent family vehicle. It's about mid sized, easy to park, easy to manage, but still good looking, and it feels like something that's a little bit more luxurious than um, you would expect from Kia or from the price. Also, if you want something to tow, a very capable truck-like family-friendly SUV, the Ford Expedition is one of those. That's worth considering and putting on your list. The Toyota Highlander is also very good, as is the Honda Pilot. We especially like the Honda Pilot Trail Sport Edition, which adds some cool-looking features and adds a little bit of extra off-road ability. So some of the highlights from the best family cars list, but as you uh, have mentioned a couple of times, and I think it's worth underscoring again, uh, your mileage may vary, as they say, depending on your needs and, and you know what you are going to do with that vehicle. Those vehicles are not necessarily any more one size fits all than any other vehicles. So talk a little bit about some of the important factors to consider when families are car uh, car shopping, whether that's online or at the dealership, to make sure that we get into the right vehicle at the right uh, with the right deal. Yeah, so you can start your research online. Of course, do all that information ahead of time. You know which cars you like, which cars you don't like, which colors you like, and you can narrow your list down. And when you go to the dealership, make an appointment to go to a dealership. Don't just show up. You, you just like just pretend like it's. Well, you wouldn't be pretending. It's what it really is. It's a significant financial transaction. Sure. You wouldn't just show up someplace and go, oh, I don't know. Let's spend 50 grand today. Make an appointment and tell them what you're looking for. And you might want to go on some test drives. And this way, in person, you can see what does the color look like in daylight? Uh, How does the interior function for my family? Are the seats comfortable? Um, Does it, does the natural um, leather and fabrics in it? Does it smell in a way that I don't like? Like those are all things you need to see in person. You can't get online. And so I also tell people, bring all, all your stuff. If you have a baby, bring the baby, bring the baby seat. 
bring your dog, bring your golf bags, whatever it is that you do and everybody else in your family does, bring all that and make sure that it fits. You know, it used to be, um, you know, going to the dealership meant a uh, really tough negotiation uh, to get the best deal. Um, Is that still the case now? I mean, again, during the uh, pandemic, uh, we saw many manufacturers get away from all of the incentives and uh, a lot of the back and forth of uh, negotiating a deal has been de-emphasized with online shopping and so on. How different is that experience now versus what it used to be? And is there a way to sort of uh, parlay that into to our advantage as car buyers? Well, showing up prepared is going to help get you the best deal. Another thing that will help you get the best deal is to buy a car from the existing inventory if they have any. If they have to order a car or trade it from somewhere else, you might not be getting as good of a deal. But here's the thing. One of the things we learned from COVID or that sort of era was that people have told us repeatedly that they really disliked negotiating for cars. Yeah. That's the part of the car buying process they hate the most and they never, they don't like doing it. And so a lot of dealerships have responded to that by considering uh, or by instituting a one price model, which means that when you go to buy a, uh, you know, XYZ car, uh, the one with leather seats is this price. The one with a sunroof is this price. The one with all that thing is this price. And they're all that price. Yeah. There's no variations. There's no, that guy got a better deal than me. It's just you add up the price of the option and you add it up and say, here you go. That's the price. And that's the price everybody pays for that exact car. Now, sometimes people, they feel like, oh, well, I, but I'm not getting as good of a deal. Well, you're getting the same deal everybody else got. And so sometimes people like that more, sometimes they don't. But most people have told us, most consumers have said that if, if you eliminate the negotiating process, I'm kind of okay, you know, however it works because, you know, and, and yeah. of course, cross shop, shop against other cars in your town. Sure. And know if they say this is our one price and we have a good price, well, don't just take their word for it. Go go find out. Right. Use a website like Kelly Blue Book and say, well, what should the price be? And then you know you're getting, you know, you're paying what it's worth. Yeah, which uh, makes it even more important to do that research that you were talking about before you go in and decide to drop down uh, all of those thousands of dollars on a new vehicle. Again, Kelly Blue Book Executive Editor Brian Moody with us this morning. Their list of best family cars 2023 is out, and we have a link up to it at our webpage. Brian, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. So now we want to get to a story that originally we had planned to bring you yesterday morning, but because we had to kind of switch things around at the last minute, wanted to bring it to you today. It has been a very busy week for Senator Sherrod Brown. He chaired a Senate banking committee hearing in which the former CEO of Silicon Valley and others were grilled about those recent bank failures. Uh, He also was in East Palestine earlier this week meeting with farmers there, hearing about their concerns in the aftermath of the train derailment disaster, which is an interesting story. But we want to talk this morning about one other thing that the senator did this week that I think 
uh, is actually really cool. He took time to launch another year of summer manufacturing camps that his office has taken the lead in putting together all over the state for more than a decade now. And yesterday, we spoke to Senator Brown about that ongoing program and its impact on the Ohio economy both now and in the future. This is the 11th year for these summer manufacturing camps that your office has taken the lead to organize. Tell us more about this program. Yeah, I, I remember years ago, someone in my office from the administration said, everybody wants there to be more manufacturing, but nobody wants their kid to do it. And I took that as a challenge, and we began these manufacturing camps. First one was in Youngstown back in, I think, 2011 or 2012. We've been building. We will do at least... Uh, likely 40 of them this summer were children fourth to seventh grade. We ask a lot of people said that's the most impressionable age to get kids interested. Mm -hmm. We'll spend a week at our summer camp in a sense and uh, run by local communities on by their manufacturers and by their groups, their local organizations and exposing children that age to working, not necessarily wanting to go to college, but working in manufacturing, working in the trades, uh, building things, making things. And they've been a huge success. They, we, we get more more schools, more kids, more uh, communities every year. Uh, obviously, uh, in recent years, Ohio has taken a very aggressive stance in attracting these tech-centered jobs, including manufacturing. How has that bolstered this camp program and the opportunities that you're introducing students to over the course of the past decade? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, state government has not done an especially good job on attracting young people to our state for a whole host of reasons. But um, these manufacturing camps, I think, give children um, in all parts of the state, we've had the 35 or so, almost 40 we will have this summer, um, or in all parts of the state, rural, mostly smaller communities. Um, and what, what we see more than anything is it's time to bury the term Rust Belt. And that term has been insulting to our region. It's demeaning to workers and companies that make things. And um, as someone said to me once, we, we outsourced manual labor in this country to China and Mexico, and those days are done. These trade agreements have been awful for our communities. Uh, and we're taking a different approach to begin to build from the bottom up. We have uh, a similar program through the Raise the Bar Hancock County program locally. Uh, there are other programs uh, that are out there that are similar to uh, to yours. You don't see this as, as competition, but rather complementary to those programs, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, everything we've done with uh, our manufacturing camps have been driven by local communities, local organizations, local companies, local manufacturers, local schools. And we have sense each one is slightly different because what, what kids in Fenley might want to learn are in Genera or in Bellevue might be different from what a child in Ashtabula wants to learn or a child in Columbus or Cincinnati wants to learn. Or so what they, those opportunities by be. local communities. Yeah, they're they're, tiled, they're they're driven by local communities and what they want, and that's who we work with. Several of these camp programs have been held in Northwest Ohio in the past. When will, I know you're still ironing out the details of where these camps will be held this year. When will the locations be announced, and how would people register, sign up, get more information, and so on? 
uh, people can go to brown.senate.gov. That's my official government website. Uh, we already have um, scheduled in Northwest Ohio and Defiance and Lucas and Wood uh, and uh, we've in the in, in Allen County, so all Western Northwest Ohio. Uh, we are always reaching out to others. Anyone listening uh, to WFIN that wants to contact our office, go on our website or call our office and we would love to, there's no deadline on this. We just want to get them up and running. Um, most of them are the early part of the summer, but we can do them anytime in this during school uh, student summer vacations. Turning Ohio into the Silicon Valley of the Midwest and going away from that Rust Belt image, as you were mentioning, one of the key uh, uh, efforts of the state of Ohio in recent years, this one more uh, component of that. Again, Senator Sherrod Brown with us this morning. Senator, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Of course, Chris, we'll continue. We'll do it again. Thanks. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. We have some very unusual thefts in the broken news this morning, starting uh, in Southern California, where a 23-year-old man has been arrested for stealing around 50 side-view mirrors off of cars in the San Diego area. (laughs) 50 side-view mirrors off of cars. Uh, police say witnesses saw this guy pulling 17 mirrors off of cars on Tuesday. And since his arrest, at least a dozen, a dozen other incidents have been reported, uh, that took place over the course of the past week. Investigators believe up to 50 cars in all were damaged. And anyone who had their side view mirror stolen or vandalized should call the police department. (laughs) I mean, this just seems like a very odd very random thing to steal i mean of all of the things that you could steal we're not going to steal the cars themselves we're going to steal the side view mirrors just weird not to be outdone apparently this is a competition a man in saint petersburg florida has been arrested in connection with the theft of two galapagos tortoises from the saint augustine alligator farm zoological park Uh, Now, these are very rare tortoises that were taken back in November of last year. But after receiving a tip, St. Petersburg police found one wandering around a Florida Florida man's yard like a pet. Unfortunately, the other tortoise sadly passed away due to unknown causes. The tortoises were part of a breeding program and require a special diet. The suspect is facing charges, including burglary and dealing in stolen property. The, the uh, St. Augustine police uh, are thanking the hundreds of officers statewide that joined in the search for the turtles. <clears throat> they couldn't have gotten far. I'm just That's too easy of a joke. But, I mean, it's just weird. I mean, what, of all of the things you could steal, a pair of Galapagos tortoises. I don't know. Uh, elsewhere in the broken news, a suspect, a suspect at the jail in LaPorte County, Indiana, raised eyebrows when an officer reviewing a body scan noticed something that shouldn't be there. A foreign object lodged inside the suspect's <clears throat> hindquarters, shall we say. 
Now, it's not actually altogether unusual that an inmate will try and smuggle something into a jail in that particular body cavity. But this foreign object was a pair of scissors. Ooh, ouch! Ouch! As a normal part of entering the LaPorte County Jail, an arrestee must undergo a body scan. Initially, the suspect refused, but later agreed to participate. An officer reviewing the scan noticed a foreign object inside uh, the uh, <clears throat> cavity of the arrestee. The man was moved for an additional search and prompt removal of the object followed without incident. Thank goodness. That could, have, that could have ended very, very badly in more ways than one. <clears throat> uh, this is a unique arrest. Uh, sheriff, in, sheriff in Portland, Oregon, says a, a deputy clocked a driver on Interstate 5 early Wednesday morning. What is it, like a 70-mile-an-hour zone? 176 miles an hour. 176. When the car pulled off the freeway, uh, deputies blocked it and arrested the driver, the 19-year-old driver, Milo Schneider. Now, you would think he'd try to maybe come up with some sort of an excuse while he, why he was going 176 miles an hour on the freeway. No, he didn't try to come up with some excuse or talk his way out of the charge. He actually was bragging that he actually reached 183. <laughs> he has been charged. With reckless driving, could face over $1,000 in fines, and my guess is, he's probably going to lose his driving privileges for a bit. Give you some time to think about that, young man. And finally, in the broken news this morning, and this is a, a good news story. I like this because I actually uh, saw a uh, news report uh, on the uh, on the Newswire about a study out of the University of Essex finds that uh, good news, uh, happy news, can have a positive effect on mental health, while bad news has a negative impact. It's not just your imagination. It actually does impact your state of mind. Negative news has a bad, and good news uh, can make you feel better. And so with that in mind, I have a good news story here to finish off the broken news this morning. In a surprising turn of events, a lost diamond ring, which embarked on a 13-year journey <laughs> through the uh, sewers. Um, and I'm not sure uh, where this is. I, I don't have a location uh, on this. Um, and This ring embarked on a 13-year journey through the sewer system of this town has finally been reunited with, with its owner. After 13 years being lost, this diamond ring finally been reunited with its owner. Uh, workers discovered the dazzling piece at a waste, wastewater treatment plant, and after receiving numerous uh, hopeful claimants, the ring was successfully matched to one Mary Strand. As fate would have it, Mary's husband had given her the ring for their 33rd wedding anniversary, and then it took an unexpected plunge into the toilet uh, during a fitting mishap. They're trying to make sure that it fit, and apparently it didn't, fell off into the toilet. Lesson learned, if you're fitting your ring, if you're trying on a new ring in the bathroom, close the toilet seat. Put the toilet seat down. 
Um, in any event, the Strands, who coincidentally own a sewer business, <laughs> Viking Sewer and Drain Services, valiantly attempted to recover the ring themselves to no avail. So they figured, I mean, hey, they're the professionals. They couldn't get it. It's probably gone forever. Little did they expect that their treasure would resurface more than a decade later. Now, it does have a few missing stones and some damage to the band, but the Strands plan to have the ring reset, resized, repaired, and, of course, thoroughly cleaned. Mary's husband, David, (laughs) is, I mean, she's ecstatic to get her diamond ring back, her anniversary ring back. Her husband is just happy that they found it so he doesn't have to go get another one. (laughs) After 13 years. Love a story with a happy ending. There you go. That is today's Broken News Report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Blentz with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. How many times are you asked in the average week, will you be paying with cash or card? 90% of us pay uh, for our purchases uh, in multiple ways uh, during the, the course of our shopping week. Sometimes you use cash, sometimes you use card. I think most of the time I will use my card because I don't carry a whole lot of cash. Uh, in 2021, 65% of all point-of-sale transactions were made either by cash or card. And you think, well, of course they were. What other options are there? But uh, there's digital payments like Venmo and Apple Pay and, and all of that, which are technically card transactions but uh, are done differently. And, of course, some people still write checks, uh, which is kind of old-fashioned, but there are still some people. So 65% of us pay via either cash or card. But a new research study out of Notre Dame University finds that a lot of people will pay cash when they are purchasing something that they don't want to show up on their statement later <laughs> when they're when they're make, making guilty purchases uh, like for example if you stop at the donut shop uh, or you know a pack of cigarettes or something like that when you have a guilty pleasure and you're buying something that uh, is a guilty pleasure or maybe something, more scandalous, something that you really shouldn't be buying. Um, Also, when a purchase is more difficult to justify, like buying an overpriced bottle of water at the airport uh, or candy or something like that that is harder to justify, consumers tend to pay with less trackable methods like cash so that they can eliminate the paper trail or the electronic trail of the... (laughs) Of those purchases. Uh, Notre Dame researcher Christopher Beckler said uh, they analyzed more than 118,000 purchases uh, by 5,000 different individuals to determine why customers pay for items the way that they pay. Um, 
Now, they say there's not only is this interesting, they say this information could actually help businesses decide which forms of payment they accept or that which ones they prefer, which ones they offer up to customers first. For example, a donut shop could benefit from letting its customers pay with cash because they may want to forget their unhealthy purchases. So they might be. They might prefer to pay with cash, whereas, for example, a health food store might not see the same benefit of strictly accepting cash. So interesting stuff there. And did, is that is that true? I read that and I thought, you know what? That's <laughs> I probably see myself in uh, some of that research there. Once again, now it is time for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, is with us in the studio once again this morning, and we're making breakfast in yes. the kitchen today. Yes, we are. Something easy. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've done this uh, yeah, before, you know, done some uh, breakfast yeah. recipes, but it's been a while. Yeah, been so, a while. you know, maybe you've got the holiday weekend coming up, yeah. and, you know, going to be making breakfast for the crew. Yes, yeah, uh, this was just something easy and something I sort of... Uh, Came up the, yeah, this first one is actually an original recipe. Yes, this is. is a Kyra's Kitchen original. Um, as as great breakfast casseroles often are, you yes. just throw a bunch of stuff together and right. see what works. Yes, and it did. It worked. So this is a sausage gravy breakfast casserole. Yep. So six eggs, quarter cup of milk, salt and pepper to taste, and five brigio buns uh, ripped into chunks. And then you have your sausage gravy, which is one pound ground sausage, three tablespoons of butter, quarter cup of flour, salt and pepper to taste, three cups of milk warmed, and one and a quarter cups of Colby Jack cheese. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Uh, grease a 9 by 13 inch baking pan. Uh, place the burrito chunks in the pan. Uh, in a large bowl, whisk together eggs, milk, salt, and pepper. Pour over the bread and a large skillet over medium-high heat. Cook the sausage, the ground sausage, until brown and crumbly. When the sausage is done, add your butter. Uh, if there's excess oil, then take that off. Um, or, or you can leave it on, but just don't add as much butter. So, okay. so yeah. just depending on what you want to do. Wouldn't make sense. Yep. Sprinkle the sausage with flour, stir, and allow to cook for several minutes until the flour can absorb some of the fat and get golden brown. Add the milk and stir. Continue stirring occasionally over medium-high heat until you have a uh, gravy. the gravy thickens. About five to ten minutes on that. Pour gravy over the bread um, egg mixture and sprinkle with cheese. Bake for about 35 to 40 minutes. Um, eggs need to be cooked through. So you'll want to check, kind of wiggle it and in the middle. And if it, if it doesn't jiggle, then it's good. Okay. <laughs> so the very, other thing you can do is kind of, very scientific there. Yes. The yeah, other so. thing you can do is kind of cut a little piece in the middle. And if it's mm -hmm. still kind of runny, then, yeah. then let it cook for a little mm -hmm. while longer. Mm -hmm. 
uh, rest for about 10 minutes, cut and serve. You want to make sure that those uh, eggs are, yes. are cooked sure all the, the way through, yes. obviously. Make sure the eggs are and done. With a casserole, that's always the, yeah. the big thing is to make sure yeah. that the eggs, especially there in the middle, middle. are are, mm-hmm. uh, are cooked through. So, yep. Uh, word to the wise there because you don't want to make anyone sick. To go nope. along with the sausage gravy breakfast casserole, we have skillet breakfast potatoes. Yes. So, this is one and a half pounds of red potatoes, three tablespoons of olive oil, half of a yellow onion diced, half teaspoon of garlic powder, uh, half a teaspoon of paprika, salt and pepper to taste. So cut your potatoes in about half inch cubes. Add the potatoes to a pot and cover with water. Bring to a boil and cook for about five minutes. Uh, That's all. Uh, Then drain. Heat the oil in a large cast iron skillet over medium heat. Add the potatoes to the pan and spread out um, flat, as flat as you can in the pan. Uh, Cook without stirring for about four to five minutes. So that gets that golden brown, yummy bottom going. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then add your diced onion, your garlic powder, your paprika. Then stir that up. Saute for about another five to ten minutes. um, And let the potatoes cook on each side. Let them get yummy and golden brown all around. Uh, remove the potatoes from the heat and season with salt and pepper and serve. All right. So with the sausage gravy breakfast casserole, the skillet breakfast potatoes, yep. uh, we have, I, I guess you could call this a dessert, something yeah. a little sweet for your breakfast, Yeah, yeah. Uh, is a fruit and yogurt parfait. Yeah. I really like these. These are like one of my favorite things to do. Sometimes I'll just... Put this some would granola be good. in my yogurt. Yeah, or, you know, a quick <laughs> yeah. breakfast or, yeah. you know, a snack, something mm-hmm. uh, nice and cool and refreshing yeah. on a spring or summer day. Yep, you yep. Know, so, really anytime. So. Yes. So a 32-ounce container of plain yogurt, four tablespoons of honey, 12 fresh strawberries, one and a half cups of fresh blueberries, one and a half cups of uh, fresh raspberries, one and a half cup of granola. So stir the honey and the yogurt together, spoon the yogurt into six jars, or six little bowls, mm-hmm. whatever you have. Cut the strawberries into thin slices. Rinse the blueberries and raspberries. Uh, place that on a paper towel and dab those dry. Mix all the berries and place uh, on a thin layer of the berries on top of your yogurt. Add another layer of yogurt, then another layer of fruit, and then top with some granola and serve. Now, here's an idea. Yes. And I just throw throw this out here. You're talking about uh, containers. Yeah. What about like ice cream cones? Maybe you you'd have the the yogurt and the fruit right. and all that kind of yeah. you know stacked on top yeah. of uh, of an ice cream ice, uh, ice cream, ice cone. cream cone. Maybe yeah. uh, one of those uh, like a sugar cone or yeah, uh, you and know, then waffle, uh, cone. Have waffle a, cone. Yeah, waffle cone, yeah. and then have a spoon yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the good. hard thing would be uh, you'd have to have a special type of uh, something to hold the cones while you're putting well, all yeah. the stuff in. Yeah, you so. would. Yeah. So, so something, I mean, to hold but, that upright yeah. while you're yeah, it, while but. you're while you're working on it. Yeah, so, but, but yeah, well, might be not? something to try. Why not? Yeah, especially again if you're uh, trying this for a, a treat yeah. for the kids, summer, summer afternoon, whatever it might happen yeah. to be. So yeah. there you go, some ideas. Yeah, or you just do one eat at each time, and one at a time. Give it to yeah. your child and do another one. <laughs> do it that way, <laughs> or mix it in the, or make uh, them hold it. <laughs> mix it in the bowl and then just scoop it into. Right, the, but you so still have to layer. The, you still want to layer it. You yeah, still, I, guess. I mean. So, so anyway, yeah, uh, just have your child hold it. The uh, recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning are yeah. posted on the uh, Kyra's kitchen facebook page which is at kyra's kitchen wfin uh, on facebook 
Uh, so you can get all of those recipes. You can share your favorite. If you want to try some of these with a twist mm-hmm. or what have you, you can yes. share that. And uh, if you have something that you are looking for, if you have a recipe that you would love to to see or uh, something that you have that is your own favorite, uh, you can share with us uh, too, again, at the uh, Facebook page, Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN at Facebook. And next week, we're going to uh, highlight some summertime yes, recipes summertime for Memorial Day. for Memorial Day. Getting, yes. Getting all geared up for that. The sausage gravy breakfast casserole, the skillet breakfast potatoes, and the fruit and yogurt parfait in the spotlight this morning. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Check us out online. Coming up Monday on the show, have details on this year's local FOP memorial service to honor those who have fallen in the line of duty to protect our communities. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.